Welcome to another episode of the Blurred Political Lines podcast, where we share our political views, discuss current events, and explore different perspectives. Join us in this episode as we look back on some of the lies from the 2020 presidential election pushed by the mainstream media. All right, welcome back to another episode, everyone. So today we're going to do a little bonus episode talking about some of the lies from the 2020 presidential election that were pushed by the mainstream media last year in an attempt to discredit former President Donald Trump. You'll notice with a lot of these stories, they follow a similar formula. First, they cite an expert opinion or a seemingly credible source within an industry with a viewpoint that they want to advance. Then, they write an article citing that information. Then other news outlets cite that article or pretend to independently confirm the information for their own articles. Social media, seeing this information, then advances these opinions as truth and censors anyone with opposing viewpoints. And they use these tactics to control the narrative and dialogue about certain topics and advance their own political agenda. And you even have politicians who have been cheering this on and pushing for even more censorship. And it reminds me a lot of a book written by Noam Chomsky called Manufacturing Consent about the government and the media in the 1980s. They talked about how the government were able to advance their narrative by issuing official statements and then having the media cite these as truth, and they were therefore able to influence the public's opinions. They used the same formula last year in 2020 to what I would call manufacture discontent by pushing fake stories and lies to increase anger and outrage toward the former president. Then, of course, months later, after everyone has moved on and forgotten about the stories, they quietly self-edit their, their headlines, write updates to the stories in an attempt to rewrite history and to make what they did look less egregious. So we're going to go through a few examples today from 2020 that were intended to do just that. The first story is, of course, the Hunter Biden story that had all of these hallmarks in it. First, when the story first came out, more than 50 former intelligence officials from the CIA and FBI came out and without any evidence said that the story had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Media outlets then either ignored the story or wrote it off as a false uh, report. Social media then censored the New York Post story in an attempt to stop it from circulating. Then, in December, after the election, of course, it came out that the story was true and that the investigation had been going on since 2018. So I want to just do a few sound clips here from the media coverage from this one from 2020. CNN reported on Friday that U.S. authorities are seeing if those emails we just talked about are connected to an ongoing Russian disinformation effort. Now, we already know some of the American producers of this drama because the New York Post says it was tipped off to the existence of the emails by Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon. Then Rudy Giuliani gave the Post a copy of a hard drive containing the emails. Serious questions tonight about whether the Russians are using Rudy Giuliani to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. CNN senior national security correspondent Alex Markward is joining us. Alex, there are fears that what Giuliani is now pushing here in the United States could actually be part of Russia's latest and very massive disinformation campaign in the U.S. presidential election. Massive indeed, Wolf. We do know that it's a very active Russian campaign. That's according to the U.S. intelligence community and that Rudy Giuliani already had open contact with a person that the U.S. has called an agent for the Kremlin. 
this whole uh, smear on Joe Biden uh, comes from the Kremlin. Every intelligence professional I've been talking to, Mika, says this is a Russian intelligence disinformation campaign. It could have come from Russian military uh, hacking of a Ukrainian gas company where Hunter Biden served. Rudy Giuliani was dealing with alleged Russian intelligence agents. Rudy Giuliani is effectively a Russian asset at this point. It appeared in a tabloid that President Trump and his allies are really trying to seize on. It's a series of buzzwords that have meaning, perhaps, if you've been studying, uh, you know, the Daily Caller or whatever it is. This is an example of Steve Bannon giving a tip to a New York Post reporter, Rudy Giuliani, handing over a bunch of documents and then Fox running with it for days on end, creating this appearance of a scandal involving Hunter Biden. I wish you would interview Joe Biden like you interview me. It would be so good. You know what? You the, like this, the, I thought. I thought you I liked don't mind it. I don't mind it. But when I watch him walk out of a store and he's walking with a ice cream and the question the media asks him, what kind of ice cream, what flavor ice cream do you have? And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking, he's of course not. he is. No. Come on. In fact, here's NPR what they said October 22nd, according to the public editor. They wanted to explain their way why they didn't cover the story that is now out and he's being investigated by the FBI for his, for his tax uh, doings. He said, quote, why haven't we seen any stories from NPR about the post-Hunter Biden story? We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. And we don't want to waste the listeners' and readers' time on stories that are just pure distraction. Well, I still think we need to recognize what a historic crime and disgrace this is, not only in journalism, but as soon as these documents became known, the operatives in the intelligence community, the CIA, John Brennan, James Clapper, Michael Hayden, all the standard professional liars issued a letter claiming that this material was the hallmark of Russian information, disinformation, actually, even though they had no basis for thinking that. And that gave the media permission to lie to the public continuously and Silicon Valley to censor these these materials. So not only did the public not become aware of them, they were lied to, not only by claiming that Russia was involved, even though there's zero evidence that they were and no one thinks that, but also by calling it disinformation. The implication was these documents were forgeries, when now we know that the criminal investigation that's been ongoing is about the very transactions that these documents covered. This is an incredible crime by the corporate media to lie to the public and bury information before an election, but also, again, domestic interference on the part of intelligence agencies in order to manipulate the outcome of our election. Then, of course, we have the story about the origin of COVID-19, leaking from the Wuhan Virology Lab. And you can again see the same formula applied. First, they had medical experts try to discredit the story. Now, these same medical experts have now said that they were just trying to distance themselves from President Trump. But the media then wrote articles, not just about the origins um, and how it was naturally evolving, but also bashing anyone who questioned the origins. A good example of this and the self-editing that they do in their headlines is about Senator Tom Cotton from last year. Last year, the Washington Post wrote an article titled, quote, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked. Then, of course, you had social media jump in, and they started blocking accounts and posts from anyone who was talking about the Wuhan lab leak theory. But, of course, now our ruling class has decided this may be a plausible theory. 
So they go back and they edit these headlines and now they start writing about it after they have achieved their political goal and after the election in 2020. The headline on that story now reads, Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus fringe theory that scientists have disputed. Tom Cotton, one of Donald Trump's staunchest allies in the Senate, suggested that the virus might have originated in a high-security biochemical lab in China. In the 1980s, I remember when the far left trafficked in rumors about HIV hadn't been invented in CIA labs. The far right has now found its own virus conspiracy theory. Cotton has been criticized by public health professionals for giving just the whiff of credibility there on television and on social media to a conspiracy theory going around that the coronavirus originated and was perhaps man-made inside a lab in China, perhaps even as a bioweapon, and was released either intentionally or unintentionally deployed. There is no evidence to support that. Another story we saw unfold over the past year was, of course, about the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, The media, again, cited medical experts and vaccine experts saying that there was no way that we would have a vaccine by the end of the year. They did this in an attempt to discredit President Donald Trump prior to the 2020 election. Of course, we all know how that turned out. And here we are in June of 2021. And anyone who's wanted a vaccine has had the ability to get the vaccine. But here are some sound clips from last year where they tried to attack Donald Trump on this. You spoke with several vaccine experts. How realistic is this goal? You know, I I talked with some of the best vaccine creators out there, some of the people who created things like the rubella vaccine that all of us have have gotten to go to school. And they said 12 to 18 months is optimistic. It depends on the science, but it's doable in this all-hands-on-deck environment. I didn't hear anybody say by the end of the year was likely or probable as a president said. President Trump doubling down today on his pledge a vaccine will be here before we know it, accusing Democrats of being angry about it. The vaccine is way ahead of schedule. And now I'm being criticized on the vaccine because they're petrified that the vaccine comes in, you know, before the election. Do you expect the vaccine to be ready before the election by late October, Halloween time? It could be. Uh, It will be right there. I mean, it's right in that vicinity, either before a little or just shortly after. That timeline's more aggressive than what health experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci are laying out. We will at least get an answer by the end of this year, December or November, perhaps October. I doubt it, but it could be. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Yesterday, the United States witnessed a medical miracle. The first doses of a COVID vaccine were administered to frontline workers across the country. The president promised a safe and effective vaccine in record time, and President Trump delivered. Earlier this year, we heard from several news outlets and so-called fact checks that President Trump would need, quote, a miracle to be right. That was an NBC News article. We were told, according to Helpline, quote, a vaccine will still take more than a year to develop. USA Today warned us that, quote, despite medical researchers' progress, the vaccine, quote, was more than a year away. 
and National Geographic even told us that achieving a vaccine within, quote, a year to 18 months would be absolutely unprecedented, end quote. These reports deserve their own fact check. False. False. Another fake news story from 2020 was about Donald Trump ignoring bounties that Russia was putting on U.S. soldiers. Here's a headline that really says it all. This is from The Guardian. They said, and I quote, Trump views U.S. troops as disposable. The Russian bounty scandal makes that clear. And they said time and time again, the president has failed to protect military personnel. For Trump, he always comes first, no matter who dies. Pretty incredible stuff. In this story, The Guardian cited a New York Times story from June of 2020 and vaguely cited intelligence sources. Now, Donald Trump at the time said that that information never made it to him because it was not deemed credible information. Democrats, of course, attacked him. Joe Biden saying, quote, it's a betrayal of the most sacred duty we bear as a nation to protect and equip our troops when we send them into harm's way. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, of course, jumped in and said, quote, this is as bad as it gets. And then John Kerry weighed in at the Democratic convention, saying that Trump did, quote, nothing about Russia putting a bounty on our troops. Then, of course, um, as the story goes, in April of 2021, again, after their political ends were achieved, news outlets backed off the story when the Biden administration said they had, quote, low to moderate confidence about the story. Pretty much the exact same thing that Donald Trump said in 2020. And all the news outlets backed off the Biden administration and didn't hold them to the same level of accountability that they wanted to hold Donald Trump to. So here again are some sound clips from this story from 2020. In our worldly today, President Trump dismissing the Russian bounty intelligence story as a hoax meant to damage him and Republicans. The president often touts his relationship with his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin. The White House also responding tonight to a bombshell report accusing Russia of offering bounties to the Taliban to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan. And now you know from this reporting in the New York Times, which has since been confirmed by the Wall Street Journal, that not only does the president know that Russia was paying for American soldiers' deaths. News, get this, the Washington Post is now reporting that the alleged Russian bounties to Taliban fighters in Afghanistan are believed to have resulted in the deaths of U.S. troops. Like this New York Times story about a stunning U.S. intel assessment, finding that Russia secretly ordered or offered Afghan militants bounties to kill U.S. troops. So comes under fire over those bombshell reports that the White House was told Russia was paying bounties to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The most important application of that question is what did the president know about Vladimir Putin offering a bounty for the killing of American soldiers in Afghanistan and when did he know it? A senior Afghan official confirmed to CBS News that the reports were not only true, but the Russian government achieved some success with their plans. Terry Kaley, I cannot tell a lie, McEnany, insists the president does in fact read everything he needs to read. We need to look at the real threat to U.S. troops and the risk that Russia was putting a bounty on their heads. That Americans found out this weekend that Vladimir Putin is paying to put bounties on the heads of American troops. Telling CNN that the White House was warned about Russia offering bounties 
actual bounties to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. He's not even there yet. He's still suggesting that the reporting about the fact that there were these bounties offered is fake. Meanwhile, your organization, the New York Times and others, are getting some fairly detailed uh, reporting about how it actually works. Despite those denials, over and over, sources tell CNN that last week the U.S. even shared that intelligence with British officials as some of the British troops would have been targeted as well. Yeah, that to, to say nothing of, t of putting bounties on, on American troops. Um, it's unbelievable, Joy. Public reporting that Russia has bounties on the heads of American soldiers. And you know what a bounty is? If somebody puts a price on your head and they will pay it if you are killed. Donald Trump has continued his embarrassing campaign of deference and debasing himself before Vladimir Putin. He had had this information according to the Times, and yet he offered to host Putin in the United States and sought to invite Russia to rejoin the G7. He's in, his entire presence has been a gift to Putin, but if this is beyond the pale. It's a betrayal of the most sacred duty we bear as a nation protect and equip our troops when we send them in the harm's way. And just recently, we've had another revelation from a story from June of 2020 about how Donald Trump had gassed protesters for a photo op at a church. We now know that the story was completely untrue, and the police were planning on pushing protesters and rioters back and erecting non-scalable fencing after Secret Service agents were injured and a historical church was almost burnt down near the White House. We now have the results of an independent federal investigation that shows that this was not true, that they had been planning this for at least two days before, and that the protest was not broken up for a Trump photo op. And to quote an article now from the Associated Press, an internal government investigation has determined that the decision to forcibly clear racial justice protesters from an area in front of the White House last summer was not influenced by then-President Donald Trump's plan to stage a Bible-touting photo opportunity at the spot. The report released Wednesday by the Interior Department's Inspector General concludes that the protesters were cleared by U.S. Park Police last June 1st so that a contractor could get, in, could get started installing new fencing. But that didn't stop the story from running for almost a year before we actually had the facts. And after people used this story as a concrete example of how Donald Trump was a fascist dictator. But again, this has been quietly corrected long after its impact. Here are some extraordinary sound clips from 2020 about this one. This photo op, and he wanted to disperse that crowd. A large crowd of peaceful protesters cleared out of the park across from the White House so the president could go pose for a photo. I did the police, why were they ordered to move on protesters at that moment? Obviously, the president wanted a photo op. And it was President Trump sending a message, a message that he feels good about today, looking at these images. He wanted to show that he could move Americans physically out of the way to do this photo op. Just one day after peaceful protesters were gassed so he could stage a photo op in front of St. John's Church. Any circumstance to violate the constitutional rights of their fellow citizens, much less to provide a bizarre photo op for the elected commander-in-chief. And I'm sure the list could go on and on. And these are just a few examples from 2020, and I'm sure that as time goes on, we're going to see more of this. I don't know that we will ever be able to hold media organizations accountable for pushing misinformation on the American public, 
But the more that we can recognize how these stories are created and the formula that they continue to use time after time, the more that we can all make informed decisions and push back on the mainstream media and social media's attempts to control the flow of information and the discourse in our country. Well, that's everything we have for this episode. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.